Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. That'd be great. And uh, I think I'm going to get in and out after this, man. Oh, oh, motherfucker, dude. I was just... Are you like a mind reader, dude? (laughs) Oh, are you going to do it too? (laughs) I was literally waiting for you to stop talking and then i was gonna go hey dude let me ask you a question would it be inappropriate if i got in and out right now (laughs) no not at all dude we got to do it right now what are you gonna get though uh probably a double double some fries or something Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where when it comes to most issues in life, there's often a gray area where most differing opinions and debates can sort of live and intersect. But when it comes to a certain former 6'9 center who boned out just one season into his Lakers career and left an Achilles-torn Kobe in the dust, such a topic is simply just Black and Dwight. Meaning, no thank you, we don't want you, Dwight Howard, hopefully. But we'll get into that. Uh, Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez. And although Lakers Nation may still be reeling from having lost a boogie, tonight they can at least take solace in the fact that we have regained a Tommy. So that's pretty cool. (laughs) Ayo, indeed. With that said, I present to you now... A couple weeks fresh off retiring his playa playa jersey in the rafters, fresh off his honeymoon in Italy, newly minted and newly wed, Mr. Tommy Alexander. T-Pain, welcome back to the show. I'm guessing you took the reverse boogie and Avery Bradley diet route these past few weeks and packed on some good old honeymoon bod weight? Oh, 100%, fam. I was hoping you would say that, and we'll get to how you packed on that weight in a little bit. Uh, speaking of which, welcome back to the show. How was Italy? Give me the best spot in Italy. Give me best food, rapid fire. Was it as literally as Kyle Kuzma has been for Team USA on both ends? Italy was just as literally as Kyle Kuzma has been <laughs> for Team USA. Uh, favorite city I went to, probably Florence. Um Florence is pretty sick. I think it's a pretty cool combination of like old school, like, and and also, you know, more of a modern city. I mean, you can go some places in Italy that are very, very old, which we did, but Florence is still like feels like a modern, more modern city, but mm-hmm. that has all the history. Best food. It's so hard to pick one thing. I mean, 
we went to some really good restaurants uh, with names I can't like pronounce properly, so I won't try. But uh, really, really surprisingly, uh, very good pasta there. In case you didn't know. Oh, very good pasta. Yeah. What about a pizza? The pizza was pretty good too. Oh, nice. Very cool. All right. Well, you know, welcome back to the show. How does it feel to get back in the saddle? How does it feel to get back in the saddle as a married man? Uh, I don't know how to answer that, <laughs> but it feels good to be back. Uh, it's like I say, every time I leave the country uh, for a vacation, it's always awesome. You know, there's a lot of cool places around the world, but some of the best days of my life were on this trip, but the U.S. is the best place to be, and I'm happy to be back. Specifically SoCal. Actually, I can't tell you how many people we met you know, cab drivers or, you know, just whoever, hotel people who were just like, oh, man, it's my dream to live in Southern California one day. And I was just like, yeah, it's, it's the best. I thought you were going to say who are bumping Lakers Legacy podcast. And you're like, are you the host? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't wear my It's Lit t-shirt, so nobody recognized me. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. All right. Uh, with that said, before we get on with our show, as usual, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes because the more you rate and review us, that's how many times Joe Kim Noah will call for double team traps on Devin Booker this upcoming season as a Los Angeles Laker because, like he said, yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. In terms of calling double teams in meaningless summer <laughs> pickup games, let's work on our game, bro. Uh, so, yes, if you want more Booker double teams via a purple and gold wearing Joe Kim Noah, please rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, also, if you'd like to help us out financially in any small way, you can donate as little as a dollar to patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast. Currently, our patrons have an exclusive listen into our insightful interview with Evo Sports training founder Gary Kablian, who's helped Eagles wide receiver Deshaun Jackson for much of his life uh, with his speed and explosivity training. And who, more relevantly for Lakers fans, also work with Cal Kuzma this offseason doing just that. Uh Tommy, speaking of Kyle Kuzma, thoughts on Olympic Kuz. He has been lighting it up. Uh, we just watched his, I don't know if you saw, I'm sure you watched the highlights of his uh, exhibition game in Melbourne. But uh, overall, what are your thoughts on what Kyle Kuzma's done, even though he hasn't officially, officially made the roster? Kyle Kuzma, I thought, I, th- I think he's looked really good. I mean, I've watched, um, let's see, I guess I watched the blue versus white game and I watched their first game against Spain. Those are only two games I watched. I did see the highlights uh, for their last game, but I didn't watch it. So it's hard to get the full context without watching. But based on what I saw in those highlights and then the games that I actually did watch, I think he's looked like pretty fantastic. Um, Pretty much everything you want to see. It's like, not only does it look like he is comfortable with that stroke, uh, which is a really, really big thing to, you know, get refined at this point, but He's not thinking about that. He's playing very active defense. He's not over dribbling. He's, you know, moving the ball around. It's crazy, like, the percentage or how many points and how many points he's able to put up relative to the shots he attempts and Mm -hmm. the amount of time he holds the ball. Like, you know, Jason Tatum is really, really good. He's going to get his points and he's going to look good doing it. Donovan Mitchell, same thing. But those guys are like, primary like i'm going to initiate the offense type of players and kuzma is doing everything he's doing off the ball which is amazing for us um not to diminish from those guys but amazing for us because that's the role kuzma's going to have for us um he's not going to have a donovan mitchell jason tatum type role so 
to the extent he doesn't have those types of abilities, it doesn't really matter. It's really nice to see him, you know, doing these pick and rolls uh, for three, or sorry, pick and pop for three, doing these, um, you know, catch and stop quickly in transition and get a shot up from three. And Mm -hmm. all that stuff is stuff that's transferable to what he's going to do for us during the season. So I thought, I think he's looked great. Yeah, I think he is. Other than his clothes. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Um, I think I like that he's kind of put his money where his mouth is this offseason in terms of he said he wanted to focus on defense and do all the little things and, you know, do all the dirty garbage man type stuff um, for this team. And I think that's proving to be very true. And I think obviously when with the Lakers, he's going to have a more elevated role, especially with bench units where he'll probably get more opportunities to primary create. But if the Lakers are to reach their ceiling and in the best case scenario for the Lakers, Kyle Kuzma is approximating what he's doing for Team USA right now with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So I agree with you there. But the role that Kyle Kuzma is playing for Team USA right now kind of reminds me of the role that Lamar Odom played when he played for FIBA Team USA in 2010 uh, and helped them win the gold then. He was also part of the 2014 where they won bronze, but uh, he rebounded in 2010 and helped them win back then. But I, I feel like I'm not obviously I'm not comparing Kyle Kuzma to Lamar Odom, but in terms of the roles that they each played, uh, being complementary, being this tertiary sort of player who didn't need the ball in their hands, but pretty much did all of the little things, uh, cleaned up where needed, played small ball five when needed, knocked down open threes. Um, I think Kuzma is just excelling in in all those areas, and for the first time, it's not. It's not flashy, it's not blatant or anything like that. I just like that he's focusing on the little things and he's playing the ultimate glue guy utility role that Lamar Odom used to do so well, whether it was for Team USA or for the Lakers. So really exciting and encouraged by all of that. And um, yeah, not like you said, not doing too much is, is the biggest thing for Kyle Kuzma. And when given opportunities when given the opportunity, really seizing that opportunity and uh, making the most out of it. And I think that's all you can hope for right now. Yeah, I was also going to add that it's pretty staggering how different he looks. You know, not that Team USA is running any sort of super complicated offense, but they do see appear to be running something approaching what the Spurs, at least the Spurs general principles, right? And it makes sense because Pop is coaching and those general principles are pretty basic, but it's pretty amazing how little he holds the ball and makes these out of control mm-hmm. plays when he has guys who he can pass to, you know, yeah. who are in spots where it makes sense to pass to them. And there's an offense that makes sense. And it's not just everybody, you know, kind of feel where the <laughs> let the ball get energy off. Right. It gives you a little peek and window into who Kuzma can actually become in the right setting. So again, all really encouraging things. And that stroke looks wet, man. It looks super wet. It's 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 amazing. I think he's shooting like I don't I don't know what the cumulative stats are, but it has to be around like 55, 60% from 3 right now on a small sample size. But really great for Kuz, 12 points, 4 of 5 from 3, uh almost hit a half court shot. We just hope he continues to fire on all cylinders and his we're hoping that his instatement on the team becomes officialized soon. Uh with that said, I'm going to take it to break. When we return from break, we're going to get Tommy's updated thoughts on well, not updated thoughts, but his thoughts on the boogie injury, talk about what the Lakers should do with him and his roster spot, and 
how we're feeling about this big man tryout carousel between Dwight Howard, Joakim Noah, Maurice Spates, and uh, maybe more. So we'll take it to break, and then uh, we'll talk about all that after that. All right, so we're back. Tommy, Alan and I already did like an instant reaction podcast to Boogie's injury, but for you... Uh, give me your quick, like, one to two minute thoughts and reaction to how you felt when the boogie injury happened, how you took that unfortunate news, one, as it pertained to boogie, and then two, as it pertained to the Lakers and how that may have, may or may not have changed your outlook on things a bit. It's What's funny is that, you know, you were the first to actually tell the group of us what happened that morning, and it was just so deflating. But, uh, but yeah, for yourself, how did you, how did you take things? pretty devastating i mean obviously as a fan you're super excited because you get demarcus cousins you know i know over the years i've talked a lot of mess about this dude but yeah he he's, he's good i mean look he's a good player i don't know that he's you know which in when he was younger and healthier and uh putting up the big numbers in sacramento i wasn't certain even at that point and obviously probably this will never happen but i I was not certain that he could be like the second best player even on like a championship level team. But um, as a third, fourth best player, amazing. As a $3 million mm-hmm. player, amazing. You know, even more amazing. So it's like in the context of how we were getting him, it was such a steal um, that it made me so excited. And I really thought he was going to be the piece that pushes over the edge. Like mm-hmm. without him, I still think we're very competitive. We have LeBron, we have Anthony Davis. I think we have really good role players. But DeMarcus Cousins is like a star in a role player's body at this point. Here, it was supposed yeah. to be for us. And and it was an interroll player's contract. And and it, so devastating on that front. Devastating also for him. Um, yeah. Just like when you think about him as a person, um, he, you know, battled back from his Achilles, came back, actually put up like on a competitive team that was literally competing for the finals. I know his playoff stats were not great, but put up good numbers during the regular season, definitely helped the Warriors um, in their push. They made him in like an integral part of their, their rotation. Um, got the hamstring or quad or whatever injury it was in the playoffs and still battled back from that, even though he could have, nobody would have batted an eye if after those two injuries, he just sat down and said, yep okay, I'm hurt, you know what I mean? And everybody would have thought, like, okay, look, he's a free agent. Maybe the Warriors don't necessarily need him. But no, he tried his best. Um, He, he, by all accounts, was, like, in the best shape of his life this summer, was working hard, got injured, you know, working out and trying to make sure he was keeping himself in in good shape. Just a complete freak injury. Um, And it's it's just deflating all around. It's really tough to see. In terms of how I hope the Lakers manage it I mean if there was some sort of way that we could keep him on the active not on the active roster but on the roster so that he could travel with the team be a part of all that stuff he could rehab on the Lakers dime like you know really make him like happy and accustomed with the with the lifestyle here so that we are the front runners to bring him back next year on like a prove it type of deal that would be an ideal outcome for me. I just, Mm -hmm. I don't know how realistic it is. Frankly, even if we cut him um, just to make the roster space, I hope that there are conversations where it's like, Hey, you know, you're like still part of the team. You could travel with the team. I don't know, frankly, if there are rules against that. I I think there have, I think there have been 
agreements and sort of negotiations like that in the past where even if he's cut, like the NBA has still allowed the organization to help facilitate his rehabilitation. So I think that's definitely could be in the works, hopefully. I think there are other reasons for why to keep DeMarcus Cousins outside of, you know, wanting to keep him as part of the team now and for the future and just keep his morale up. But another reason would be, you know, keeping his salary on as salary ballast in an inevitable trade down the line, right? Because he is making $3.5 million, which could help us out in the future. And I guess even in that scenario, you're hoping... Hoping even if they use his uh, salary for a trade, that team's likely going to cut him and we still have that same agreement in place where he can still rehab in L.A. And then on top of it, kind of kind of with what you were saying, I think just that we're still in a year where we're trying to appease Anthony Davis. And I think keeping DeMarcus Cousins on and even using DeMarcus Cousins next year as, you know, an extra you know carrot to dangle. Not exactly. I don't think carrot to dangle is the right phrase, but in terms of showing Anthony Davis that we're very loyal to our superstars or or our players in general and that we're willing to keep Boogie on and we want to continue to try and redo this whole situation with him next year, I think that can only help Anthony Davis with his decision to re-sign, right? So that's another point. But yeah, I do think they should approach the situation delicately and finesse things with Boogie and his camp. I do think right now in the state that Boogie's in, we have no idea where his mental state is at, but it does seem like he could use the community and the brotherhood and everything that a a whole season with a roster and team could bring him in this time when he's just trying to, you know, pick up the pieces, essentially. Having said that, I, I, I do think that should there come a time where if the Lakers really need that roster spot and there is a player out there who they really covet or need, then I I think they would probably cut DeMarcus Cousins, right? But I think barring that, and I don't think there's a guy like that out there right now, unless it's Iguodala, I think they should just pretty much stand pat, keep him on the team, assess all their options. There's really no reason right now why they should do that. Are you in agreement with that? No, I agree. Yeah. And and we've said this before. I don't know how likely this is as well, but maybe they even, if Iguodala becomes available... Maybe they just keep Boogie on anyways, and they cut someone like Troy Daniels. We'll see. Um, I think for me, when it comes to the DeMarcus Cousins thing, you know, this was always a real possibility, him going down. At some Um, point, yeah. Yeah, at some point. So I guess, you know, the silver lining or blessing in disguise is that we kind of got it out of the way earlier uh, before we became reliant on him or comfortable with any sort of configuration using him. So. So we can kind of pick ourselves back up and act like this never, yeah, like this never happened. So I think the biggest blow for us when it comes to DeMarcus Cousins is that we had already begun to embrace this idea that he was part of a skilled big man identity that we were trying to build. That was going to be our fundamental strength against the Clippers, against other teams. It's like, we got big men, but these big men can shoot from the outside. They can pass. A lot of our playmaking is going to come from the front court. And that's still kind of true, but without Boogie, it seems a lot less dynamic and uh, confident a statement to make. I was just going to say losing him also kind of exposes some general roster weaknesses that we had. I mean, playmaking outside of LeBron on this team, in terms of guys we all, all like want to play, like so I'm not counting Rondo necessarily, but outside of LeBron, the playmaking was kind of an issue on this team, and DeMarcus kind of masked a lot of that because of his ability to pass from the five spot. Yeah, exactly. And it just sucks not having that sort of three-headed monster of like LeBron James, Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, 
even add Kyle Kuzma and JaVale McGee in there. I think after losing Boogie, I didn't realize how thin we actually were. Yeah. But with that said, I do think there are some silver linings. One being the fact that we haven't even got into this at all on this podcast, but regular season schedule came out. The Lakers' light early schedule actually helps us in this respect because we should still be able to gain a footing. Like I said, because it happened now, we'll definitely be able to re-pivot and re-jigger things a little bit. So I think that should mitigate any any huge loss of DeMarcus Cousins. I think the real loss is just our the hopes and dreams of a higher ceiling. Not to say that we can't still reach that, but you know, thinking of the best case scenario for DeMarcus Cousins or even like the median scenario had us looking pretty pretty good. We we're just going to have to sort of retweak our expectations and how we get to that level a little bit and a lot of the burden is going to fall on you know LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kyle Kuzma, Danny Green, Avery Bradley sort of you know raising the bar of or raising the burden on on their shoulders a little bit and how well they have to play this season. One positive that I have is and I think you kind of brought this up in our message thread is one of my biggest worries coming into this season was potential chemistry issues. When it comes to DeMarcus Cousins, not to say that he was going to be a locker room cancer, but more chemistry issues with rotational minutes. Right. Like it, Boogie was a guy who still had enough cachet to cause some political problems in the locker room, even if his play didn't necessarily warrant more time on the court. It's kind of like it's kind of like the Rondo problem, right? So, in this respect, you know, him going down, it, it sort of eliminates that additional potential problem provided we're not bringing in Dwight Howard or maybe even Carmelo Anthony. But this this obviously has a huge trickle-down effect on Kyle Kuzma because now there's honestly no there's no scenario where Kuzma gets the short end of the stick here. And he should have ample time to develop and grow while whoever we sign, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but whoever we sign will have a more rightful tertiary place in the pecking order of this roster. Um mm-hmm. So in the end, one less like superiority, political, positional problem we have to deal with. So anything you want to add there? No, I think you covered it. Cool. I know a lot of media pundits and the media, when we came up with this plan B pivot after Kawhi Leonard, some people weren't giving Boogie very much credit in helping us become a superior contending team in the first place. So they either considered him washed up or a liability or out halfway of the season anyway. So by those people's standards and projections, I don't think the prognosis and projection for the Lakers should change that drastically anyways, at least for those people, because I know there's going to be that double standard of now that DeMarcus Cousins is uh, has gone down, those people will probably be like, oh, I'm going to push my projection of the Lakers even lower when you know that those people weren't counting on DeMarcus Cousins to be a big plus for us anyways, you know? So yeah. Do you have any other positives with regards to, or I guess blessings in disguise with this DeMarcus Cousins injury happening right now? No, I think we covered it. I mean, the big one for me was always the uh, the rotation. It makes our rotation a little more defined. Um, and I think Kyle Kuzma is really going to have a breakout year despite all the negativos on Twitter. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I think you otherwise covered it. Cool. All right. With that said, I'm going to take it to break one more time. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about the big man carousel that's currently going on and maybe talk about Mr. Dwight Howard. All right, Tommy. So the Lakers are currently doing this uh, big man workout musical chairs. Right now it's uh, with Dwight Howard, Joakim Noah, Maurice Spates on Friday. They have some interest in Martian Gortat, who's currently overseas. 
What are your thoughts about their options right now? I can go in later into some out-of-the-box deep cuts for other options, but what are your thoughts on, on Dwight, Noah, Spates? Let's just start with Dwight Howard because I know that's where everybody wants to start. Are you as opposed as most Lakers fans are? If you aren't, why? Why not? Uh, or do you would you rather just not have to deal with uh, the potential locker room drama and distraction? I'm not as opposed as most. I think Dwight... <laughs> I, I think Dwight five years ago was a much bigger risk for locker room issue than he is now. I feel like he's kind of accepted his lot in life. And I don't even mean it like in the way that, you know, Carmelo is going on this like press tour about how he doesn't care if he has to play off the bench and he's fine doing whatever. Like Dwight, I view is a little bit different. I mean, he's been playing on some bad teams the last few years. As far as I can tell, it's never been a, uh, uh, locker room issue. It, 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 it's been, you know, last year, at least it was like a durability issue. Um, so I'm a, a little bit, my reservations for Dwight are more on that. Um, and to be fair to him still, he has not had long-term durability issues. Most of his career, he's been incredibly healthy. I mean, I think I was t- talking to you the other day and I was like, in his 15-year career or something, he's only played less than 20 game or you know 15 13 15 year career something like that he's only played less than 70 games um two times mm. uh it, it's pretty remarkable how how uh, healthy he's been able to keep himself considering like the injuries you see with most big men who are as explosive as him and granted he's not as explosive as he once was but you know two years ago he was averaging a block and a half when he pl- and he played 80 plus games and was playing, you know, 30 minutes a game. So he's not a bad player. If we end up, if they end up working out everybody doing interviews, I would be most interested in his interview because I don't think that, you know, to quote The Bachelor, which I've been watching Bachelors in Paradise recently, (laughs) I don't think that Dwight is here for the right reasons. Um, If he comes here, uh, and by that I mean, you know, Dwight is who he is. He's a funny boy he's like likes to party he wants to like be the center of attention he likes hollywood he likes the flashing lights like he wants to be here for the spectacle of being in la um which is totally fair but we're not looking to saddle ourselves up to like potentially our starting center who's going to be more concerned about all that stuff than like keeping himself healthy and playing his role and doing all that again not to say that he would necessarily do that i think he's very matured since we last had him on our team and um also the context is just so different before we were leaning on this guy to be our franchise player i mean kobe was getting older and we're like okay dwight carry us into the new promised land you know but he's clearly not that guy and time is enough time has passed to where he even realizes he's not that guy um he's older now and and he never got there really so we would be, I mean, he would be a utility player. And when you're comparing him against guys like, you know, Jordan Bell, like that caliber of player, which is essentially like what we would sign him for. Um, he is much better than those types of guys. Again, mm-hmm. not to say he's the best fit for this team, but it would not be the worst case scenario, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I had begun to talk myself into Dwight, but I think just assessing his last few years, he's Dwight's kind of like Paul George in a way where they kind of say what you want to hear. And then when it actually comes down to brass tacks, it's like, 
uh, this guy's still kind of messed up and he has no idea what he actually wants in life, what he wants to do for a team, what he wants for himself. And, you know, the last, f- how many teams has he switched? Has he ha- have dumped him like the last four years now, like Charlotte, Atlanta, I think the Brooklyn Nets waved him. Yeah, I mean... Houston really dumped him. Yeah, so I mean, every stop along the way, you'd think that he'd be humbled. And I don't know. I think I'd rather just... Look, I think on paper, you just look at his stats. The dude can still play. The dude still gets double-doubles. He's still super strong and super physical. But I think for me, and kind of you know, reaching back to what we talked about in the first segment about how this places everyone in their rightful roles and Kyle Kuzma now has full reign to be whoever it is he's going to be. I'd rather not even introduce the possibility of a personality like Dwight who can cause any sort of additional problems. I, I do think we have the locker room to be able to sort of corral that type of personality. I think we have the type of veteran coaches to do so as well. But I just would rather not take that chance and not take the chance that like LeBron just gets mother effing pissed off at this dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, just yeah. gets annoyed by this guy. So I, th- I think for those reasons, I'd kind of pass. You know, he's been given enough chances at this point. Like if they do take him, maybe I'll do the mind meld thing where I'm like, you know what? this will be the time that he finally, you know, changes his stripes because it is the end of the rope for him. But barring that, I would rather move on to candidate number two, uh, Mr. Joe Kim Noah, Mr. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Double teams all the way. Um, (laughs) You know, Joe Kim Noah, he is older than Dwight, I think by a year or so. But Last year, he sort of had a renaissance sort of last few games with the Memphis Grizzlies. I think in 13 games after the All-Star break, in just 21 minutes, Joakim Noah averaged 11.2 points, 8 rebounds, 3.4 assists, 1.1 blocks on 54% from the field and 67% from the free throw line. He was able to regain some of his old form, and I think on this team, he is literally going to be playing big man center relief minutes to help bang down low for Anthony Davis. He's probably only going to be playing 10 to 15 minutes. The biggest question with Noah for me is durability, even more so than Dwight, because he has been very on and off again from the court, and we don't know how long he's going to be able to sustain that type of play. He may end up becoming like this year's version of Tyson Chandler, where for one or two months he's really good, and then he's just going to fall off the face of the earth. So that's my biggest concern. But when it comes to even just the type of personality that Joakim Noah is, you know, he's going to be that sort of a bodyguard type who won't back down to any sort of player, and he'll probably stick up for his teammates, all that jazz, double teams galore. Uh, I, I kind of just like the type of personality that he brings to this sort of team even if it's just from the bench. So yeah, what are your thoughts on Joakim Noah? Would he be your number one sort of guy in this sort of merry-go-round of big men right now? I don't know necessarily if he's my number one. That's what I'm saying. Like a lot of this comes down to what is the health uh, of, and, and mindset of all, these, of all these guys that we're talking to. I do think on paper, he's the best fit. Um, he can pass, so it kind of, you know, he's not DeMarcus Cousins as a passer, but he can fill that void a little bit. He has some sort of offensive ability that's not just catching lobs. Like Dwight, you can make a strong argument, is like very redundant with JaVale. He's much stronger than JaVale. Um, I would say Dwight's a worse shot blocker than JaVale, but a much better rebounder. Um, mm-hmm. I would say offensively, what does Dwight do at this point in his career, especially that JaVale doesn't do? Um, 
and we already have JaVale, you know? So Noah, you could make an argument, okay, he brings something different. He's, he's not uh, above the rim guy. He's definitely, especially, I mean, he never was an above the rim guy, but especially at this point in his career, he's a below the rim player almost exclusively, but he's a strong man defender. He's a good communicator on defense. He can really pass um, uh, at the center position and he can hit free throws, a stupid thing, but like over the course of a season makes a big difference. Um, I do like the fact that you can, no matter what happens, no matter what the, you know, extraneous external circumstances are, you can always count on Noah to be there giving a hundred percent. He'll give a hundred percent. doesn't matter what day of the week it is. doesn't matter what game of the year it is. He'll always be there doing that. And you never have to worry about him getting distracted by, you know, off court stuff like you do uh, to some extent with Dwight. So I do like Noah. I would say if I had to compare him directly against Dwight, if they're confident that he can stay healthy, which it seems like at least last year he was able to. I mean, I frankly, I don't know if you followed him. Was it the case that I know he only played like half the season, but was it the case that he wasn't part of the rotation and then played like consistently? Or was it the case that he was hurt constantly throughout the year? I think it was more of, you know, I actually can't speak to that now that I think about it. I I have to think because, you know, at the beginning of the season, the Memphis Grizzlies were kind of trying to still make the playoffs with Marcus Gasol and, and Mike Conley. Um, so maybe he was just out of the rotation then. And by the time they shipped off Marcus Gasol and all those guys, maybe Joakim Noah had more of an opportunity. I can't really speak to that, but hopefully he was more healthy than not last season. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's clearly, though, with him is the big issue is the health, because what we don't want to do is end up in a Tyson Chandler situation. I mean, again, it's easy for us because it's not our money to be like, oh, yeah, just go give him two million or, you know, the (laughs) veteran exception for him is like two point one or something. So it's like, yeah, give him two point one, whatever. But if he ends up getting hurt, we're going to have to cut him and sign someone else. And that's two point one for him to like you know, go sit in his beach house and then another 2.1 for whoever we sign later, you know? So I just, I can see if, you know, to the extent they hesitate on his health for, for that type of reason, I totally get it. Um, it, you just don't want to end up in that situation where it's like, you're like, it's almost similar to the DeMarcus thing. It's like, you start to lean on this guy, you start to rely on him as like an integral part of your team because to be clear like i was making the dwight jordan hill comparison but this person is not going to be whoever we sign is not going to be like our jordan hill i'm sorry no i keep saying jordan hill jordan bell from Morris. <laughs> jordan that, hill taking it no, back no a more years. no more jordan hill man <laughs> although i wish we had that ed davis back though oh, yeah. but uh but uh you know he's not going to be our jordan bell like uh to make that comparison like this guy is going to actually be a consistent player in our rotation potentially you know depending on who we sign a starter like i think if we sign dwight he might be a starter um i think if we sign um noah there's a chance he could be a starter i mean it it's just not to say that they're going to play starter minutes but they're going to play a very very important role on the team yeah no that's true i think because of that Oh man, this is going to be weird. You're right, because if if Anthony Davis does not want to play center or not play as much minutes at center, that means a starting lineup of, well, actually, no, I'd rather have JaVale McGee start in that respect, even though it still feels sort of clunky. Um, But with that said, I agree with everything you said about Noah. One thing that I found looking at Noah highlights um, is the fact that 
He's a really skilled finisher in the lane. Did not know no highlights existed. I did not know either until this summer, believe it or not. Um, Because it's been like six years since, no, more than six years, maybe seven or eight years since we we were talking about Joakim Noah and Kirk Heimrich on the Lakers. So it's been a while. But one thing that I noticed about Noah is he's a really skilled finisher in the lane as the role man. And I was like, oh, he's pretty adept. He can like switch hands. He can do these nifty reverse layups. So it's not like Dwight Howard or even Timofey Mozgov or Roy Hibbert, if anybody remembers, where we thought those guys were good role men. And then for some reason, they just, the ball would just flip out of their hands. They all had bad hands, yeah. Yeah, but but Noah actually is really skilled down low, which I guess makes sense because he's a good passer as well. But when he gets the ball or is fed the ball as the role man, he has like different nifty moves in the lane that he can sort of channel and uh that he, that he can sort of use so yeah and it's a function of being a guy who his entire career i mean even when he was in college at florida like he was never an above the rim player like there were points in dwight howard's career where he was like i mean slam dunk champion you know what i mean so it's like he never had to get used to catching difficult to catch balls but noah his whole life was like if i'm gonna score I need to be able to catch these like pocket passes in the paint and finish below the rim. And and so he's had his whole career training for that, basically. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, With that said, any thoughts on Mo Spates and Marcin Gortat? So Mo Spates, he's been out of the league for the last year. He's been playing in China. I know he played a pivotal role on the Golden State Warriors. I don't know to what capacity he was an actual good defender. And if we're thinking about how that helps alleviate the banging down low for Anthony Davis. I'm not sure that does that a lot. Most spates gives you the most spacing out of any of these guys, but I don't know if it's a due diligence thing. It's an agent thing. Yeah. Any, any thoughts on the last two guys? So most spates is like super random to me. I mean, I know he can hit a three. I mean, all this stuff came out about how, you know, Ryan West and Vogel and maybe some other scouts went to go watch him play in China like a month or two ago. Um, so, you know, clearly they were keeping an eye on him just like in the back of their mind for because our shooting has been so bad the last few years. But he's been out of the league. And frankly, you know, I know his last stop he put up was, I think, Orlando, right, with Vogel. Yes. So I think, he, I mean, his, his numbers and shooting and all that was like decent enough. But when he was with the Warriors, even like, I, I remember thinking like, how is this guy? This guy looks like he's barely able to play basketball. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he's like a strong guy, savvy vet. I don't think he moves the needle for us defensively. Um, this is the type of like Shanning Fry signing where it's like, if you have that extra 15th spot and you're looking for like a little extra boost. Maybe you give him a look, but I'm not. I'm not seeing how Mo Spades helps us really, um, given how I remember him at the end of his NBA career. Um, and Gortat, kind of similar to Tyson Chandler, um, he's just so old at this point, and he has lost a significant amount of mobility. Um, He's, you know, still skilled, but he just doesn't do the things he used to do. And I just don't see a a role for him here. You know, my biggest comp for Gortat is he's sort of Dwight Howard and Joakim Noah fused together, but the worst versions of both. Oh you know, he, he's still pretty strong. And like you said, he can he can hit a mid-range jump shot. He can sort of pass. He's kind of nifty and skilled in the paint. So he kind of combines both of their skills, but he's just 
yeah, super depreciated at this point and deteriorated. And he's just not good. He's just, I mean, he's just not good. But Dwight Howard and Joe Kim Noah put together, not good. So yeah, I think I'd agree with you there. Uh, quick fire on these other options. Kenneth Reed, Andrew Bogut, Zaza Pachulia, Amir Johnson, Alexis Aginsa. Oh my God. Okay, so Andrew Bogut, hard pass. He, he is just such a arrogant Australian dude. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, man. He is like so... He has a lot of political opinions. Oh, jeez. disagree <laughs> with them per se. I mean, a lot of it is Australian politics. So I have no idea what he's talking about. But he has like said a lot of passive aggressive things on Twitter about his experience with the Lakers. Like every time oh, negative right. press articles would come out about the Lakers, he would like, he would like retweet it and be like, and like do some sort of a suggestive emoji, you know? And so mm. he's kind of like a, a, a jerk in that stand from good that point. standpoint. G- good point. He puts shrimps on the Barbies. <laughs> yeah, he uh. puts shrimps on the Barbie and, and, you know, we don't want any of that over here. So <laughs> He also is just not good, you know, like he can't play anymore. Obviously, he was at one point a very good player. The Warriors really, really needed him with all the injuries they had last year. And it looked like he could barely, barely play. I mean, he looked like the old man at like the YMCA. I know it's the NBA, but he couldn't keep up with these this pace anymore. So hard pass on him. Kenneth Fareed, I actually think could be super helpful in terms of a scoring and rebounding void uh, to fill off the vent, uh, off the bench, but he doesn't move the needle for us in terms of defense and size. Um, right. Because there, like you said, there was a point where we had like an absurd amount of size. I mean, we were going to make JaVale, AD, and DeMarcus, three seven-footers essentially, part of our core rotation, and no other team in the league was doing that. Um, and if we are going to do anything approaching that... Um, and if we're going to limit AD's minutes at the five, we need somebody who can absorb body blows. And Kenneth Reed isn't just, he's never known for being, he's never been known for being a good defender. And um, he also, he, although he plays really hard and hustles really hard and he likes to bang in the post, he just can't take the punishment. I mean, you've seen it repeatedly throughout his career. Big guys just like, he's not even there, right. you know? So um, quick question for you. Uh, on Kenneth Reed, does the calculus change for you if somehow we hear that Anthony Davis is more open to playing center than we thought, and they're planning to pivot in a different direction by giving us a little bit of a fast-paced lineup off the bench, and Kenneth Reed becomes our version of like Thomas Robinson and Montrezl Harrell, because in 13 starts last year, he averaged 16 points, 10 rebounds, 1.1 blocks on 58% shooting, even with shooting threes and everything. Obviously, asterisk that with the fact that he was playing in a, in a D'Antoni system. But with regards to his player profile, if the Lakers plan to shift things with DeMarcus going down and they're saying, well, let's give teams other looks and let's do a small ball five pace and space sort of lineup. Does the calculus kind of change for you there? It does a little bit. And I think like to really play your hypo out though, the key there is the Lakers have to accept because I think part of this is 80s personal preference, but I think a a very significant part of this decision is the Lakers don't want him to have 82 games of banging in the, in the post because this is our future, you know, is this one dude, yep. like he is hopefully going to be our franchise player for like the next eight years, including this coming year. And we need to keep him healthy. Um, and to do that, we don't want his body to take a lot of abuse down in the paint. So 
I think it's as much us as him. But yeah, okay, of course, if if they completely change course, Kenneth Farid is a much better player overall um, than any of these guys we've talked about. Um, and he definitely helps our bench in terms of energy, in terms of scoring, in terms of rebounding. Again, despite all his flaws, he can change a game for you. I mean, he's kind of like Lance, right? Like he's more <laughs> effective than Lance. Um, and that's just the immediate example I could think of. Like he's a better player than Lance, but in that terms of like, sometimes Lance would just have those games, which he did for us, where he would yeah. just win the game for you. <laughs> you know, and and Kenneth Reed can do that. I mean, we've seen it firsthand. He's been so annoying because he's been in the Western Conference like his entire career, basically. If I think he has, um, and he's just like so annoying that. He can swing a game with his energy. Um, oh, no, no, so, yeah, sure. I, would be, I would be much more open to it than that. So I'll, I'll boil down the rest of this for you. Zaza, no. Alexis Sajinsa, no, even though he played with Anthony Davis. Uh, what about Amir Johnson? You know, he was... It's, I mean, in theory, Amir Johnson is like, okay, that makes sense. He's kind of, He was once a very solid defender, could kind of shoot outside a little bit. Very, very poor, 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 homeless man, third world countries man version of an Alf Horford. But at this stage, we don't even know what's left in the tank, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's the big key is you just don't know what's left in the tank. Like he... Two years ago, if you were like, Amir Johnson's still in the market, I would have been like, oh, hell yeah, let's just sign him. There's solve the problem right there. But he's so run down at this point. I mean, I have the same concern with him as I do with Noah. Although Noah has so much more upside, if we're going to take a risk, I would rather you take a risk on him. Um, but yeah, similar concerns. You just don't know, can this guy... Yeah, I mean, the most direct comp at this point is literally like Tyson Chandler last year. Like We've been saying Tyson Chandler's name a lot, but Amir is the most at risk to play like a very solid 10 game, 15 game stretch where we're like, wow, this guy completely changed our bench defense. And then you just never hear from him the rest of the year because I don't think his body can do another season. Yep, I agree. Okay, really quickly, out of the box, deep cuts. I'll just do the same thing and you can comment if you want or not. Spencer Hawes played with the South Bay Lakers last year, still only 31, averaged 14.7 rebounds, 4 assists, 1.2 steals, 1.4 blocks in only 24 minutes, hit two threes a game on 45% shooting from the outside with the South Bay Lakers. I think this is in nine games. Obviously, the Lakers out of anyone probably know what Spencer Hawes has left in the tank. Kind of like Amir Johnson, theoretically, who Spencer Hawes is as a player profile kind of fits what DeMarcus Cousins was going to be for us, that sort of like poor man's Brad Miller type. But again, we don't know what he has left in the tank. I mean, he is killing it in these pro-am games in Seattle, but... I mean, you sent me a video of him like dominating a JV high school team. <laughs> or what appeared to be a JV high school team. That was but, us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, Spencer Hawes, the reason I can't give him too much uh, of my brain space is because I feel like if he if he was our signing we would like you said we would know better than anyone that would be done you know but we had a very very close and good look at him last year it wasn't even enough to call him up for a, a look at the, in the actual league last year and it doesn't seem like there's any indication that he's even being considered at this point so i pass on him 
That's fair. What about Christian Wood? Obviously, this is still an if because Detroit has to buy him out, although they do have 16 guaranteed contracts, I think, since bringing on Michael Beasley. Still only 23 years old, averaged 14 and 6 in 10 games after the All-Star break with the Pelicans last year. Very skilled and intriguing young dude with like a 7'2 wingspan. I think the biggest problem for me is he's kind of frail, but he can shoot from the outside. He can. Does have some shot-blocking abilities because he is so long, but again, if we're putting the criteria back on does he help the does he help Anthony Davis with the banging down low thing kind of doesn't check that box uh, kind of doesn't check that box so that's a good point I mean Christian Wood is one of these guys who I feel like I've heard his name for the last four years like essentially since the day he was drafted as I, I can't or sorry he was actually undrafted originally right and and I he was either a second round pick or undrafted um but I, I remember him uh, hearing his name all the time as being like the, you know, the, the next uh, diamond in the rough. And it just he's had a pretty slow and I, which is reasonable, but pretty slow development period. And he hasn't quite gotten there yet. Um, if they do go young, definitely he's someone that you need to look at. But you're right with the frail nature, it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily help Anthony Davis, but who knows what they're going to do. Maybe they're just like, yeah, we're going to start JaVale, and that's why we're fine signing a younger guy to play the backup five. Uh, Marquise Chris, former Palinka client. You've heard Marquise Chris name before. I think guy, this guy just played himself out of the NBA at this point, right? Yes. Super raw. Uh, these are super out of the box. Anzegis Pasechniks, a former first-round pick from the Philadelphia 76ers who never came over. Super, super raw. Um, I call him Porzingis. He kind of reminded nice. people of Porzingis back then. 7'2", 7'4", wingspan, 23 years old, could kind of shoot from the outside, was kind of athletic. But the more I watched him play, he's kind of clunky and uncoordinated uh, he does a little look bit very mozgov, clunky. a little bit mozgov like so i don't know if the lakers would even take a chance on this guy if they brought him into the g league sure go ahead you know go crazy but i mean it's like you can accept the young guys like christian wood has at least shown is he a project in some sense yes but he has at least played in the nba um he's shown that he can't is capable of doing that um so you're fine with those types of projects you're not fine with a project who you know, is really not ready to play at all. Yeah, although his size and his length is tantalizing. Uh, last one out of these deep cuts, Chinanu Onuwaku, last played for the Rockets. The dude shoots free throws granny style, which is pretty cool, and he was also part <laughs> of the select team that beat Team USA in a random scrimmage that only lasted a quarter. Apparently, he's kind of like this uh, Bam out of bio Czech Diallo type, just strong, smaller, but pretty athletic. It, does he fall under the same sort of lines as Paseknicks and Wood and Chris even? So, I mean, I think I cannot, I, I shouldn't even say anything about this guy because I literally have <laughs> never seen him play. I mean, I, I, don't, I have no idea who he is. I feel like we've drafted a bunch of dudes like who are supposed to be this type of player. Like, you know, these like six, nine, slightly undersized centers who are super physical. I feel like we went through a stretch where we drafted a ton of these dudes in the second round. Um, Chikuta Berry, bada boom. <laughs> and none of them ever panned out. Um, but if Onuwaku, I mean, they have, you know, as good of an, as good of intel as anybody about him. I mean, he's been training with Kuzma and um, uh, Team USA, um, 
Actually, I don't think he has been. They just put him on that random team of like G League players and stuff that they just pit against the... But isn't that the select team or whatever? I, I think I said the wrong term. It's like a select team just for literally this scrimmage or this game. Oh, but isn't there an actual official? Yeah, there's an actual official select team. Yeah, this one, they just brought in random guys off the street. Almost literally. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, look, they again, they they, they know. Um, they have the intel. He's a... Tommy, let's let's just stop. They, they know nothing. We know nothing. I mean, they know more than us. <laughs> I'll tell you that. We but, hope. But, okay, that's fair. Yeah, I, I know right. nothing, so I can't comment on it. Well, Tommy, here's my final, final question. We went through this rigmarole of all these names. Who is your final answer of who you would like the Lakers to sign here? The dust has settled. These workouts are done. Who's your guy if you had to pick? Assuming health, uh, Noah. I agree. Um, The final thing I'll leave you guys with this podcast is the Lakers may also look to the trade deadline for some options. Uh, Some names that you could be you might want to circle is Todd Gibson on the New York Knicks because they got five power forwards and five centers. Um, Nerlens Noel is probably, I don't know what the Thunder are going to do this season, obviously, but he may want out. They may trade all of their useful players for other assets. Uh, Dwayne Dedman on the Sacramento Kings, they have a, a glut of big men, Marvin Bagley, Harry Giles, Rashawn Holmes. Add Rashawn Holmes to this list. Maybe even John Henson from the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's on an expiring $9 million contract. The problem with all these guys, though, Tommy, is that the Lakers don't really have any assets to give these teams. Maybe throw in a future second if they can give that. They can't trade their first-round pick this year because of the Stepien rule. The one thing I want to leave you, though, is, and I don't want to be a downer on anybody, especially because we've gotten so hyped about this guy recently and even had a podcast dedicated to him. But would you be surprised if the Lakers threw in THT, Taylor Horton Tucker, into some sort of package to grease the wheels for any sort of these dudes that I just mentioned if they knew that that's what was going to push it over the edge? Because the Lakers are trying to win now, and they have a pretty good window this year with Brooklyn waiting for KD, Brooklyn waiting for KD, uh, Golden State still trying to find their identity. So I think if push comes to shove and you know a team is like, well, you don't have anything, give us this, you know, 240 pound dude with a seven foot one wingspan do you, would you be surprised if the lakers you know just through tht to get in a taj gibson if that's what it meant for the lakers to you know maybe take it over the edge as a contender this season absolutely would not be surprised i'm pretty sure we have both of our picks next year tht is a very tantalizing prospect but we just traded we just traded Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, <laughs> Mo Wagner, Isaac Bonga, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't I don't know that we're uh, concerned about that at this exact moment. Yeah, I agree. I I hope we don't, obviously, because he's so tantalizing. He's a clutch prospect. He's like like I mentioned, two forty and a little bit chunky, but still skying over dudes, so you can only imagine what happens when he gets in, in he drops some, like 20 pounds. Yeah. It gets in some Phil handy and Judy Sato time, but, uh, but yeah, we'll see. Like I mentioned, keep those guys in mind. And obviously the bar, the buyout market will be essential for us. Look at the Charlotte dudes, Marvin Williams, Nicholas Batum, Nicholas Batum, probably more than likely, uh, Tristan Thompson from the Cleveland Cavaliers, LeBron's boy. That would be amazing. And probably the best case scenario. But yeah, we'll just have to see at the end of the day. We hope the Lakers make the right decision. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, benefit of the doubt at this point when it comes to this auditioning process. And with that said, Tommy, welcome back. Any last words? No. Amazing and profound as usual. All right. 
We'll catch you guys next time. Follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Rate and review us on iTunes. Yada, yada, yada. Tommy, wear your It's Lit shirt to bed tonight because I said so. It's soft though, right? It's so nice. It's super nice and soft. Nicole was wearing hers the other day, actually. Try blend, bro. You can't go wrong with try blend. All right. With that said, we'll catch you next time. Tommy. Later. Peace. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.